and students to uh, CIY Move Conference. They left yesterday morning and are somewhere in between Memphis, Tennessee, and um, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, their final destination to a campus there. And so be praying for them this week. And uh, I don't know if you knew the title of today's sermon, uh, but if you did, with every one of those songs we were singing, they really resonate and really tie in and really prepare our hearts. And um, just been praying about that God would do something for us uh, today and in us today, and it would be one of those days when you leave thinking, man, he, he talked just to me today. It was like he knew me, and that's never a me thing. That's God planning that out, by the way, so don't blame me for that. Um, but that's what I'm praying for today, and the title of today's sermon as we continue to go through the book of Jeremiah together is Aching for Unshakable Faith. We ache for many things. We've been talking about that, and Dave and I have been preaching through this book. And Jeremiah, the book just answers so many of our heart's deepest desires and wants. And uh, to begin with this morning, I just want to tell you about my friend Paul. I, I met Paul about a year and a half ago in India, and Highland Park has supported uh, Mid-India Christian Mission in um, India for many, many years now, over a couple decades now, and it's a, a wonderful ministry. You know, there's a billion people who live in India. One-seventh of the world's population lives in this one country, and the, the mission's work that we are supporting trains and sends out evangelists into new areas where the gospel has never been preached many times. And they go and they plant churches, and when a church is planted and healthy, they go and they plant another one. And many of these evangelists have left everything and uh, families and towns and friendships and jobs to serve Christ, and they've been ostracized and um, persecuted in many ways. They've left everything and... um, Paul was one of the evangelists I was able to meet and, um, and, and spend some time teaching, and I felt like I just needed to be learning from him. But uh, I, I met with him, and I, I knew that he had a specific story, and I just said, would you, would you just please tell me your story? And so through a translator, he did. And his story is that uh, he heard the gospel shared, and he responded to Jesus Christ, and and said, I, I want to begin preaching. And so he went through the training program that Mid-India Christian Mission does for anybody desiring to do this. And they uh, spent time training and equipping him to be an evangelist, to go out. And when he was prepared and when he was ready, he went out and he began planting churches. And in one of the towns where he planted a church, like a number of towns, especially in the middle part of India, and it's such a big country, it really depends where you are as to whether there's persecution or not. But it, in many of the rural places in the middle of India, there's lots of persecution. And uh, he had been threatened by a group of Hindu extremists. And Hinduism as a religion is usually pretty peaceful. But when you mix it with kind of a nasty brand of politics, it's turned ugly, especially over the last decade or so. And a group of extremists threatened him and said, you need to quit preaching. And he said, I can't. I have to keep preaching. And he continued to meet. And one day while he was gathered with his church family, uh, a group, a mob came in, and they just began, began beating people, clubs and swords, and it was just chaos. And uh, a, a lady who um, was pregnant lost her baby due to the beating that day. Other people were injured. Uh, a man took a sword and swung it at Paul's head, and he ducked so it missed his neck. But he showed me the scar on the back of his head, and it didn't kill him. They thought it probably did, and they left and he showed this to me, and 
said, would you pray for our church? Would you pray for our country? Would you pray for my faith? The thing about Paul is he, he didn't strike me as like some, you know, like Rambo, macho, like nobody can hurt me kind of a guy. Like maybe if you were to write a movie about it. He was actually fearful for his family and his church, and he was shaken by what had happened. And he asked for prayers to overcome that fear that he had. And when I left after meeting with him, I thought, boy, he may have been a little shaken, but his faith just seems unshakable. Because you know what he did after that? When the bleeding stopped, when he took care of his people, they went right back on to carrying on and him preaching and sharing the good news and planting churches, and it did not slow him down at all. He continues to do that to this day. And when we hear stories like that, we just have to ask ourselves, I want to have a faith like that. How can I have an unshakable faith that doesn't just, you know, feel like a roller coaster all the time? How can I do that? And the book of Jeremiah has some help for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah, if you remember, was a prophet. God sent Jeremiah, and the Babylonians had come and attacked uh, the people of Israel and Jeremiah's hometown, and they had taken many of the people, many of the citizens, into exile. So they had led them away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And imagine, if you would, being one of those people. You are taken away, maybe from some of your family, from your friends, from your hometown, your home country. Everything is taken from you, and you're marched off to Babylon, some country that scares you to death, with this wicked king you've heard about, uh, and this, and this Im- impressive, terrifying army. And there you are, as a people, living in this new place, scared to death for your family and for your faith and for your country, for your future, and you don't know what's going to happen next. And then you hear that the prophet Jeremiah, who's still back in Jerusalem, has heard a word from the Lord and has written it down, and he sends it to you so that you can hear it. So God wants to say something to you, and you desperately want to hear, what is God going to say? Do you get the picture here? Can you put yourself in that place? And if you would, if you're able, would you just stand and let me read this to you? Because in that day, when they would have heard the word of the Lord, they would have stood up and with anticipation, they would be thinking, here we are in Babylon, scared to death. What in the world does God want to say to us? And we find out in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to begin in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to All of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. Let's pray. God, This morning, I know some people are standing here today feeling a little bit like the shaken Israelites so long ago, afraid for their future and their family, feeling shaken to the core. And you have a word for us. I pray that we can hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I can't promise you that when you leave today, you'll go out thinking, my faith will never be shaken again. Everything's just going to be steady from here on out. But I do think that we find three questions. I, I can ask you three questions that I think can go an awfully long way into helping your faith feel like it's on solid ground. And the first question is this. Do you have a fire in your bones? Do you have a fire in your bones The phrase, the word of the Lord, it shows up in the book of Jeremiah more than any other book of the Bible. And God keeps saying, hey, Jeremiah, tell the people this word from the Lord, this word from me. And the funny thing is, every time God told Jeremiah to say something, Jeremiah was thinking, oh boy, this isn't going to go over well. (laughs) Because God wasn't saying, hey, it's all going to be nice and fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's not what God was telling him to say. He, he was telling him, there's going to be some bad things coming your way. And so we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. It seems like when God wants to get a prophet ready, he lets that prophet suffer first. It's almost like the crucible of suffering is the birthing room for good prophets. That's what prepares you. And so Jeremiah had all of these things stacked against him. Bad and wicked kings, phony priest fake prophets, and and for most of the people, they pushed back against him too and rejected him. And so there's all these things that Jeremiah faces, and God is saying, hey, Jeremiah, when you speak to the people, tell them things like, you're going to do this, uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow. Those are scary words. He says, but then you will build and you will plant, so some good is to come later. And so Jeremiah keeps hearing from God, say this to the people. And Jeremiah knows this is not going to go over well. It's going to lead to me being persecuted, me being beaten, thrown into a well and rejected, and my name dragged through the mud. All of these things are going to happen. And so we ask, well, why does Jeremiah keep speaking then? And he tells us, if you remember from back in chapter 20, if you want to look over there, Jeremiah, we says something amazing. In this midst of this complaint against the Lord, we talked about this complaint that he had last week. He says something amazing. Look at verse 8. That kind of gets you up to speed. And then in verse 9, where this amazing thing comes out of nowhere. Verse 8. Whenever I speak, 
I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. I, a fire I shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. How did Jeremiah keep speaking? Because God's word was in him like a fire. He could not keep it in. He could not hold it in. It had to come out. He was so passionate. What is it that you're so passionate about? It just has to come out. Things like, it's a boy has to come out, right? These passionate things of, I got a new job. I got to tell you about it. The Cubs won the World Series after 108 years. Lord, please don't let them win for another 108. Because <laughs> they had to tell us about it. <laughs> this is from a sad Cardinals fan. But what are the things that you're so excited about? And you're like, I got to tell everybody, right? We could make a whole long list of things that we've had to tell. We just could not hold it in. And God says, this is how it ought be with my word inside you. See, my hunch is that if you don't have a fire in your bones, then you probably have a wobble in your legs. It's that fire, that passion that keeps us like marching through the difficult times in life. And when we feel kind of shaky and when we feel afraid, there's this fire that says, I still got to do what God wants me to do. I still will do whatever he says. God needs his church so committed, so passionate about him and what he wants to do on this planet, what he wants to do in the lives of people that you just can't help it. That when you see somebody, a brother and sister in need, a neighbor who's hurting, a neighbor uh, who, who needs help, you can't help it but just to go help. And when you see somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you're like, I got to pray for this person and I got to talk to this person and, and invite this person and care for this person. And when you hear about the needs of missionary families around the world and the needs of the church family, you say, I got to give and I got to pray and I got to serve and I got to give my very best to this church because it's this fire in your bones. So the first question is, do you have a fire in your bones, a righteous fire? Not about stuff that doesn't matter, but stuff that really does matter. The second question is this. Do you have faith in God's promises? We have to notice the verse before the really famous one I read. I mean, I know when I was reading chapter 29, there was one little part you were like, I think I remember that from a motivational poster. Or a plaque on the wall. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. To prosper you and to not harm you. you, you many of you have probably heard that said or you've seen that. But, but nobody puts the verse before on their wall. Nobody puts the verse before that one at the bottom of their email. Nobody puts the verse before that one on their motivational poster because it just won't sell. Did you catch the verse before? I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. The verse before says, after 70 years. That poster doesn't sell. After 70 years. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine hearing that? We're like, did, 
okay, Jeremiah, I'm down with you. But what was that part about the 70 years again? Did you, did you slip up there? Did you add a zero? Was that supposed to be months or days or hours or minutes or seconds? Seconds I'm cool with. I can hang on for another 70 seconds. And when trials come our way, we say, God, here's my timetable. And God often says, no, my timetable. And we throw a temper tantrum. We want God to be on our timetable, to do things our way. And God says, after 70 years, but the promise is still good. Can you trust in my promise that long? Can you trust in my promise when it carries on to the next generation and you don't even see another sunrise in Jerusalem? Can you trust in my promise that I am using your life, but it's not just about your life. It's about other lives. It's about a whole country preparing a way for the Messiah, that there's something way bigger at play here than you can see. Can you still trust God's promises even then? It gets pretty tough. I I like what the author Christopher Wright says. He says, faith seeks understanding, and faith builds on understanding where it is granted. But faith does not depend on understanding. I like that because if there's something that is troubling you, that's difficult and a struggle in your life, it's normal to say, why? And to try to figure it out. But if we demand that we figure it out, well, then we're in trouble. And we're actually saying, God, I don't trust your promises anymore. Because I have to know or I can't trust. For instance, if, if you lost your job and that statement alone, I know, hits home for some of you. If you lost your job and you were saying, why did God allow me to use my job? Well, first of all, if your friend says that, probably what you need to do is just like, yeah, I don't know. Man, I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you? Can I help you? How can we help your family? We don't need to try to come up with the answers. But it's you. if it's you, you've lost the job. You've had the, the tragedy in your life and the difficulty in your life come, and you're really asking, genuinely asking, why? Why did this happen? And you really want to go there. Okay, let's go there for a second. Let's maybe explore the other op- the options that are out there. Because there are some, you know. You know, maybe you lost your job because your boss is really mean, and he or she fired you for no good reason. And God understands that, but God lets Human decisions impact other people. And oh, by the way, some of your bad decisions have impacted other people too. That could be it. Or maybe you lost your job because God wants to teach you how to work harder or smarter. Ouch. Or maybe you lost your job because God has a better job for you waiting, and you just don't even know it yet. And God's going to financially bless you so that you can give more than you've ever given before. Or maybe you lost your job because God says, I'm tired of your life being driven by stuff and you need to scale down a little bit. And maybe you lost your job because there's somebody at the next job you have who doesn't know the Lord. And in the grand scheme of things, God has great compassion for you, but he doesn't really care that much if you have to scale down your living expenses if that person comes to know Christ Jesus and has eternal salvation and their whole family is changed, and you are God's plan A for that person knowing the Lord. I don't know. There are some options out there, right? And God typically doesn't tell us, here's the exact reason. 
Sometimes we find out. Sometimes he does reveal that to us. Sometimes we may never know. Maybe, maybe when we get to visit with God someday, he'll explain. And we'll be like, oh, now I get it. It had nothing to do with me after all. It like had something to do with my great, great, great grandkid. <laughs> I never saw that one coming. We, we just don't know. But we come back to this question. Do you have faith in God's promises? Or do you have to know? Do you demand to know why? Why the struggle? Why the heartache? Because we have to learn to let that part go sometimes. We can still try to figure it out as best we can. We just can't demand we figure it out. Because that means we've lost our faith. So do you have a fire in your bones? And do you have faith in God's promises? And the third question is this. Are you dwelling in God's presence? And I struggled with, is, is that even the right way to say that? Maybe a better way to put it is, are you aware that you are in his presence? Are you aware that he's right there? It's almost like, I know that you've seen this scene play out a gazillion times in the last few years, but you see a group of friends, or you see a married couple, um, and they're around each other, and they could be having this great conversation, and maybe three of them are, but the fourth is like making like an angry comment on Facebook. And they're, and they're totally like secluded from the fellowship that is right there. It's like right there. And they were feeling lonely. And they came and they missed it because they got caught up about distracted with something else. And so many times we forget that God is right here with us. We're in his presence and we miss it. So I got to got to ask you, how, how will you ever have this great fire in your bones without spending time with God? You won't. How will you ever learn to trust God's promises without spending time with him, without really being in his presence and just soaking that up? I mean, how, how would that be with another person? You can't trust a friend unless you spend time with them, right? I mean, that's just the way you learn to trust somebody. You spend time with them can't trust anybody unless you spend some time with them. It's pretty difficult to do that. And the same is true with God. Your faith is going to wobble an awful lot if you don't spend the necessary time to be like, I feel like I know God, and God wants to know me, and we have this relationship that he cares about me and spends time with me, and I'm in his presence, and we're in his presence and we think about, when we think about this, we have to think about our souls. I heard John Ortberg say recently that your soul is the most important possession you have. So are you nurturing it? Are you caring for your soul? Are you spending this time in God's presence? It was Dallas Willard when he was asked, um, what's the most important thing I can do for my soul? Um, and Willard said, just slow down. And the guy had this notepad out. He was getting ready to write down all these things from, you know, this, you know, spiritual life, uh, wise person, guru like Willard. And he's like, okay, slow down. What next? And Willard said, well, that's it. No, come on, come on. Give me some stuff. Just, just slow down. Start with that one. Because he knew most of us are so busy and we're so fast. We can't just slow down and be in God's presence and spend time with him so we can hear what he wants to say to us through his scriptures and in those quiet moments and we can talk to him and not just give him a laundry list of I want this and this and this, but 
can talk to him about who he's who he is and who he's making us to be and our fears and the times we feel shaky and just wonder are you spending time in God's presence I used to think I was an unshakable person I kind of did and I think it's because I have a fairly steady personality I don't typically like go real high and real low and I don't like really like overreact big time when something goes great or not so great. You know, when the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs, I wasn't like depressed for three months. When they won a few years earlier, I wasn't like running around with a banner for three months. Like I just, I'm a little more even keel. That's my personality. And that's the way God made me. So that's the way it is. But I used to translate that to think I'm pretty steady and stable and unshakable. And I don't really think that much myself anymore, (laughs) to be honest. And maybe it just comes with age, because stuff happens and makes us feel a little shaky, makes us feel a little unstable. And I I used to think that, you know, and maybe there's still some times where I feel like, give me a squirt gun and I'll attack hell. (laughs) And now there's other times in my life where I'm not sure I could put out a candle. And you probably have those seasons of life too, where you feel really strong and steady and stable and everything's good. And then you have these other times where you're like, I, I'm not very steady today or this week or month or year. And we feel a little shaky, like maybe we don't have it all together. And to be honest, what I've concluded is maybe I need to quit trying to be an unshakable person and just put my faith in an unshakable God. Because I don't know that I can be an unshakable person because I'm still human. I think God can grow us and mature us and steady us and give us roots that run deeper so that we can handle and get through and push through the trials of life. But we're still a little shaky, aren't we? And so where do we look? If we look just inside of us, we're going to strike out. We're going to fall down because I don't have enough in me to be steady my whole life. I have to find that somewhere else. And so we have to look to an unshakable God who cares us and loves us and is steady enough that we can put our faith in him. You know, the Bible doesn't talk, a, talk very much about how you can be solid as a rock. But the Bible talks a lot about how we can put our faith in the rock. It's a metaphor used throughout scriptures. Just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we got to be out in Oregon to visit family there, and we got to take in a few just beautiful sights. And there's a picture I have for you that I want you to see. Uh, this was out on the coast about a, an hour and a half west of Eugene, and we saw this huge rock, and we were up near a lighthouse. And we just stood there and watched that rock for a while, and the Pacific Ocean is just relentless, just beating against that rock and these waves crashing in. And you know the funny thing? I watched that rock for a good 30 minutes, and it never moved. I kept waiting for it just to break apart, because if those waves hit me about twice, I'm, I'm under. I'm done. But that rock just stayed there. And then I saw some pictures. That lighthouse that was near it was built like 120 years ago or something, way back when. And the pictures show the lighthouse. And in the background, you know what's there? Same rock. It's been there all this time. It's just still there. And if you were in the storm of life, you would be in a lot of trouble 
unless you got up on something like that. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about uh, building your house, he says one guy tried to build his house on the sand and it washed away, and one person built his, his, his house upon the rock, and it stood. As far as we know, the housing materials were the same. And I would guess that most of us are wired close enough to being the same. We're human. And so what matters is what do we build our foundation upon? Do we put our faith in ourselves? Or do we put our faith in an unshakable God? Here for just a few moments, if you would like to look at that picture or if you would just like to close your eyes, I just want to ask you to do that. And I just want to read some of the scriptures that talk about our rock. And would you just spend a few moments just meditating on the rock um, that we have in God? There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. We serve an unshakable God. And some of you are feeling pretty shaky today. And I just want to call you and invite you to place your faith in the Lord. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 29 of Jeremiah offer a pretty amazing invitation response, an invite to you. It includes these five verbs. Call, come, pray, seek, find. And that's what we want to invite you to do today, to call on God's name and to come to him to pray, to seek, so that you can find what it's like to stand on the rock. This morning, we're going to sing a song here in a moment. If you would like to just recognize that you are feeling really unshaky right now, and you want someone to pray with you and pray to the God who is stronger than a rock, and we'll have some folks up front that would just be glad to pray with you here on the front row and the same is true in the overflow if you're sitting there. Um, I know Jerry is over there and would be glad just to pray with you um, if you would like to come and visit with him and, and ask for prayer. If you would like to even just come later today, that's fine as well. When the service is over, quietly come and somebody will be here to meet with you and pray with you. Would you stand? Let me pray for us. Lord, we come oftentimes not feeling so strong and so steady we feel pretty shaky and today we just want to 
look to you and say thank you that we can put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, our solid rock, our firm foundation. We want to stand on you. So Lord, would you reach to us today and help us know that life may be difficult and it may feel trite to even say it's okay right now, but we still place our trust in you because you love us and you cared for us and you invite us to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.